Hello there. Thanks for joining me again today on the Psychology Report. You know, today our world is much more dangerous than it's been for centuries, perhaps. At least as far as most of us can know and remember. This, we live now in a very dangerous world. Our schools are at stake. Danger lurks our schools every day. We've had multiple shootings on various campuses, whether it's elementary school or high schools or colleges. We've seen colleges just ripped apart with political dangerousness. And um, we see students just taking on the role of the uh, aggressor in, in acts of violence on campus. The schools, by and large, have become a uh, melting pot for various political ideologies and uh, lifestyles and uh, uh, religious backgrounds that hover around or uh, integrate some concept of violence or anger or destruction. But, you know, churches have also been the object of a lot of destruction and dangerousness and violence as well. We've had many shootings within churches. We've had churches burned down. We've had religious uh, attempts to uh, murder the religious leaders of various kinds. Uh, churches are increasingly unsafe, as schools have become increasingly unsafe. Neighborhoods, likewise, and uh, various institutions. You can't go to, to a sporting event today and enjoy the sporting event with 30, 40, 50,000 other people without giving thought to the fact that are you in a dangerous location? Are you in a dangerous place? Are you subject to somebody's violence or to somebody's ill will? You can't ride on public transportation these days in many parts of the world without giving thought to the danger level that persists within that kind of environment. So we do live in a dangerous world. It didn't, it didn't necessarily start with Columbine, but it certainly got aggravated and um, enhanced with the Columbine shootings uh, several years back. And each shooting just kind of adds another layer of potential violence for the future. You see, it's always an adage here that goes like this. To predict the future, look at the past. Your best predictor of the future is the behavior of the past. Whether you're talking about an individual, you're talking about an institution, you're talking about a group of people, or whatever. But whatever their violence level has been in the past is a pretty good indicator what their violence future what their violent picture and profile will be in the future. So we need to be concerned. We need to be alert. We need to be aware that there's potential danger that lurks almost everywhere, and it's entrenched now within our society, and certainly within the last 10 years. This has been an increasingly um, difficult part of our culture and part of our world and part of our concern and the stress levels of living in our world today are, is greater because of it. Now, that's not necessarily America. Look at Paris. Look at London. You know, look at many of the countries of Spain or cities in Spain. You know, look at the world around us that have uh, experienced violence beyond imagine, beyond reason. 
but we are in a world of violence, and we knew, and we need to give some thought to this idea of dangerousness. How do you predict dangerousness? How do you know dangerousness lurks in your neighborhood? How do you know dangerousness lurks in your home? How do you know dangerousness lurks among the people of your church? Lurks among the people of your school, the neighborhood, the neighborhood around the school. I mean, all these questions kind of are prompted today by this issue of uneasy dangerousness in our country. Well, it was in 1997 that a psychologist by the name of Hernan, Hernan uh, introduced some kind of a um, formula, if you will, or a type of formula to, in, to indicate what dangerousness looks like and what it is and how to predict it. And he came up with a number of factors and a number of indicators and certainly behavior patterns that are associated with potential dangerousness or future dangerousness. Here are some of the behavior patterns that he said are very common to people who eventually act in violence against somebody else. A persistent pattern of lying, a persistent pattern of blaming others and refusing to take responsibility. Taking the easy way out rather than putting forth effort. Demonstrating a need to control others through deception. Intimidation. Physical force. Failing to develop a concept of injury to others. Failing to develop a concept of empathy, concern, and compassion. You see, these are just some of the general behavior patterns that are associated with people who act out in violence and who are eventually can be identified and classified as dangerous people. Now, these behavior patterns in, in and of themselves are not dangerous because everybody engages in these kind of behavior patterns once in a while. That's not danger. What's dangerous, somebody who engages in these behavior patterns persistently, aggressively, and increasingly, to the point that it becomes almost a hallmark of their personality, a hallmark of their lifestyle, where they're just persistent in chronic lying, persistent in chronic blaming others, persistent in chronic, in chronic uh, putting force upon others and intimidating others, um, failing to have any concept of caring for others or compassion for others or empathy for others, not having any value or any thought about hurt brings to others and how hurt affects others and, and the lifestyle that it brings upon them. Well, those are just some of the behavior patterns. But what are some of the um, indicators of violence? What are some of the indicators of, da of dangerousness? Uh, we'll call them the, the greater risk of dangerousness. So here is where the greatest risk of dangerousness prevails. You're taking those behavior patterns that I just mentioned, and now to look at these situations, okay? Number one, absence of a father in the home. There's a greater risk among young men, particularly young men, who are raised in a home without a father. That increases the likelihood that the kid, the boy in that home, will act out in violence and in it will be a danger to the community. Absence of the father in the home. Big factor. So if you have all these other behavior patterns that I just mentioned, and you have an absence of a father in the home, you increase now the likelihood of those kind of behaviors taking place. Okay, number two, gender factors. These also are very important to note. 
That is, if you if a boy is raised in a home which is a male-dominated home, in other words, the parents only have boys, and so it's a male home, it's a male-dominated home, more likely that danger and violence will occur in from the children of that particular home if they have this behavior pattern profile that I just mentioned a little while ago. And then number three, running away from home. There appears to be a greater risk for dangerousness if there's a history of running away from home. I remember back in the 1964, 1965, I was teaching a, uh, a class, and uh, a student wrote a paper on uh, running away, the, the children that run away from home. And one of the things that she found in her studies of looking at all the children that run away, these are called runaways, there was an, a result of increased violence, increased dangerousness, increased aggression among those children towards each other and towards others. So running away from home, we've known this for a long time, is a, is a sign, is a dangerous sign that you need to watch for. So these are three things. You take those behavior patterns that I mentioned, lying and intimidation and the absence of empathy and, and so on. You take those and you put them in a context of a kid who has no father in the home, raised in a home of all males, and has a history of running away. Now we are building this case, if you will, for increased likelihood of violence taking place, increased likelihood of danger uh, emanating from that particular person. So those are key factors. Now, he also goes on, Huron also goes on and mentions five additional factors that need to be taken into account when you look at dangerousness and you try to assess it and you try to predict it. Okay, number one, he says, the atmosphere. That is, if there is discord in the family, there is a greater risk of dangerousness. In other words, Homes that are absent of a father have increased likelihood of dangerousness, but homes that have conflict are also likely to have increased levels of dangerousness of the children raised in that particular home. It's not necessarily impoverishment, but it's more likely that that home is going to be a danger home because there's conflict in it, and it's, there's an increased likelihood that there'll be criminal actions and uh, inhumane behavior acted upon others. So the, the home atmosphere is a very great you know, factor there. Also, he goes on to say bonding. If a child did not bond with a parent, the risk of dangerousness is greater. That is, there's not a bond, there's not a connection, there's not an emotional tie between the child and the parent. Maybe the parent was absent, maybe the parent was working, maybe the parent was just uh, uninterested in the child, detached, interested in other things, gone a lot, working a lot of hours, but there was not the bond between the child and the parent. And when that's the case, there's an increased level of dangerousness right from the very beginning of birth. Bonding should take place, must take place. But if it doesn't, we now raise a kid with increased likelihood of acting out dangerously towards others. And number three says this, criminality. That is, if there's a history of criminality in one or both parents, there's a greater risk of dangerousness in their children. In other words, birds of a feather flock together. You learn from your parents. An apple doesn't fall very far from the tree, if you will. 
So if parents are criminals, or are being in prison, being in jail, having criminal behavior, criminal activity, criminal record, the children of that home are likely to be criminals as well and act out in dangerousness as well. And then number four, discipline. If discipline is harsh and abusive or not even sufficient and without any control over it, the risk of dangerousness increases. That is, if a parent over-disciplines too frequently, too harshly, too strongly, too abusively, or just doesn't dis discipline at all, just kind of very, very, very passive and free, well, those children in that home are more likely to act out in violence or danger towards other people as well. And then lastly, he adds this last point. The less parental attention, the greater the dangerousness. That is family size. You can't always, if you have a large family, it's hard to pay attention to everybody. Parents are working 40, 60, 80 hours a week. Hard to pay attention, you know, to the kids. Kids are working hours, long hours, overtime, have a lot of other social involvements and social commitments outside the home. Those kids are not going to be well attended. So when parental attention is minimal, the danger level increases. So we have to look at these are the factors that seem to contribute to dangerousness. And uh, the sooner you recognize these factors, the more you can intercede and you can take action to either avert danger and violence or at least minimize it, you know, from occurring. So schools need to be very, very much aware of these kind of factors among their students. Churches need to be very much aware of their uh, young people in their church as relative to these kind of factors. And when you can identify these factors in somebody, that's a kid that needs to be tagged. That's a kid that needs to be monitored. That's a kid that needs to be watched. That's a kid that needs to be uh, addressed. These are parents that need to be addressed. These are kids that need to be in therapy. These are kids, these are families that need to be in therapy. You know, these are uh, ripe kids for violence and ripe kids for danger, uh, acting out in various kinds of ways. So you can intercede by making sure that that family gets some kind of professional guidance and help through psychotherapy, family therapy, marital therapy. Maybe the courts need to refer them to therapy require them to go. Maybe CPS, when they intercede, need to be very much uh, on top of it and require that family to be in therapy. And when you're talking about this kind of behavior problem, you're talking about therapy that maybe will last a year or more. But they have to be committed to that. Otherwise, those kids are at risk and the community is at risk, the school is at risk, the church is at risk, our homes are at risk, our neighborhoods at risk. So we have to look at this idea of dangerousness very seriously. And they're not just looking at the kid who might bully. That's, you know, every kid bullies a little bit. We're looking at the kid who bullies consistently and progressively and gets worse over time. We're not talking about a kid who just maybe gets into a fight one time or another. We're talking about the kid who gets regularly into a fight. And the fights are more aggressive and more frequent and more intense. So that's what you look for in the behavior patterns. Any behavior pattern of, we'll call them antisocial, you know, it's not just the one occurrence. We're looking at the persistence of it, the increase of it, 
the intensity of it, and in taking place in a variety of social situations, not just in the one schoolroom or one school playground or in one home or whatever it might be. So take dangerousness seriously, and if you see danger, put these factors to it and see if we're really looking at something very, very serious and that needs to be addressed. And then bring it to the attention of whomever, CPS, the police, the sheriff, you know, somebody that can intercede and help and take care of the situation and prevent danger really being spread throughout the community to throughout the whole school or to other schools as well. Anyway, nice to have you with me today. Remember, go to my website, booksbyhedberg.com. Booksbyhedberg.com. There's a lot of good books there. One good book is Dr. Teach Me to Parent. I encourage you to get that book. If you're looking at a child in your home that you have some of these danger behavior patterns, then you need to get a hold of that book and address some of the issues. And I'll walk you through some of the ways that you can address dangerousness in the home. And uh, what you as a parent can do, you're not helpless, but you need a guide. You need a resource to help you. So it's booksbyhedberg.com. Glad to have you with me today, and I certainly want to make one more reference to the fact that you need to be in touch with the rescue mission of your community. Some of these rescue missions do great work. They work with children. They work with the homeless. They work with mothers who are out of the home, mothers who have children on the street. And like in Fresno here, there's a rescue mission that has a program called Rescue the Children. And there is a hotel, an old hotel that was renovated for mothers and children to live in and to receive guidance and to receive some education and to receive some direction in child rearing. And um, it's a great program. So here's what I would ask you to do. Send them a few bucks. Whatever rescue mission is in your community, Send them a few bucks. They live and thrive on the donations they receive. And they can develop their program with additional donations. So donate to them. And uh, familiarize yourself with the mission of your community. It's a great opportunity to serve people who otherwise are on the street or otherwise on the street corner begging. So nice day with me today. And bye for now.